live. Hi everyone. I'm really, <laughs> really excited to interview Federico Negro, CEO of Kenova. And this interview is special for me for a couple of reasons. First is Federico is also from U of I, University of Illinois. Second is Federico co-founded Case and he was head of design, a senior vice president at WeWork. And a lot of AC tech folks I admire have either worked at Case or have either worked at WeWork. So there are a lot of stories uh, I would like to unpack in this interview. And also uh, I read a lot of entrepreneurial books and especially I remember a quote from a book called Super Founder that the founders who typically start the second company and have first company as million dollar evaluation, the second company is supposed like is highly possible to have billion dollar evaluation. And I'm highly, <laughs> highly speculate. Canova uh, is a very promising product and I really look forward to our development. So thanks a lot, Federico, to be on the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. No pressure, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Federico, uh, can you walk us through your professional journey and a bit about your background, where you grew up and out of all things you could in you could do in life, why you chose architecture? Um, of course. <laughs> Um, so I grew up in South America, um, in Uruguay, actually. Um, my family moved around a lot when I was a kid. Um, I'm the, the youngest of four. Um, so I lived in many places in, in Venezuela, uh, where I spent a lot of my time in the early 80s, um, in Argentina uh, as well. Um, and, then, and then, of course, in, in Uruguay also. Um, most of my family is made up of engineers, um, and my uh, mother, who is in literature and the arts, um, I don't know, I think had a, a big influence on me. And so somehow the mix of, of, of the arts and engineering uh, sort of fell down in architecture. I'm, I'm also, I, think, uh, I probably don't show this part of myself very much, but I also love drawing and sketching. I, I've um, I actually kind of wanted to be an animator, um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, but where I came from, it's like, that wasn't a real profession. And so you, you know, if you know how to draw, you become an architect. Uh, and so that's what I picked. It's kind of one of those things where I was, I was both fascinated by it, but I also just never really questioned it from very, very early on. I was like, yeah, I'm going to study architecture that just kind of fit. Um, and then technology was just something I did for fun. Um, so from a very, very early age, I was, I was always, uh, you know, I was a gamer. I was always, uh, to this day, I still play. Um, I was always, always had my foot in it. Um, and so, uh, although I really aspired to this physical thing, I also really liked and enjoyed this digital thing. And, and, um, um, so yeah, so that's, you know, that was my, my upbringing. And then I, it so happened that, um, in the mid nineties, I found myself uh, living in Chicago in one of these moves that my family made. Um, and so I finished high school there um, and I ended up going to, to Illinois for undergrad. Um, there's a you know really great uh, bachelor of architecture program there. Um, I was definitely one of those kids who in high school went to like different camps to see um, <laughs> which architecture school I was gonna pick. Um, and so I ended up there, which was which was great. It was it was very technical, uh, for sure. Um, 
but I really enjoyed it. Um, spent uh, a lot of time in in on, actually on the history side of things, which was which was great. Um, uh, you know, took a bunch of engineering courses also, um, and then I would say actually the 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 technical side, at least in the classes that I took, um, like technology side. Uh, and the design side were were probably where I was yearning for for more exposure. Um, and so that's that's probably what landed me in New York after. I spent a lot of time in Europe studying history as well. Um, thought I was going to be an archaeologist for like a hot minute. Um, <laughs> spent some time in Greece, <laughs> spent some time in Italy, and uh, then came back for graduate school. And I was like, I'm going to move to New York. Um, and that's where you know I ended up at at, at Parsons to do my MRC. Um, at the time when you had people, you know, like three of the shop partners were teaching there at the time and a bunch of other like sort of really cool early, they had just, you know, finished DuneScape at the time. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of sort of like really cool early digital stuff that was happening there. Um, and I, you know, I got exposed to that and that's actually where I ended up working. Um, we had a... Um, a program called the Design Workshop. We 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 actually in our second year of graduate school we we constructed a building, um, and then um, the team that was doing that uh, we were we were doing a studio in Aspen with the shop where we were actually going to go over the summer to you know to be on the field with part of it that ended up being canceled. Um, but anyway, I ended up working there, um, um, and so this this. Throughout that whole time, we really got exposed to a lot of stuff that was happening in in digital fabrication and and uh, you know in a practice that was actually implementing a lot of that stuff um, very in a very sort of meaningful way. Um, and those guys were great; we had a ton of fun. We were, we were tiny at the time. Um, you know, I think I came in in a class of five in two thousand and four, um, before Katrina. That was like, you know. I think it took the company from like 17 to 22 people or something like that. So I'm aging myself at the moment, uh, which is cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, so a lot of the stuff that was happening there at the beginning was was you know just really exciting. Um, and um, the 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 technology we use sort of technology as kind of a differentiating factor at the company for design and for delivery. Um, and you know, learned a ton. I'm sort of skipping through like huge chapters of my life. Um, learned a ton, um, um, and then you know, ended up in 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 uh, Louisiana and and um, in New Orleans for uh, a big portion of time during this period. Right after Katrina, because we were doing some disaster relief there as part of shop. A um, couple of years after that, um, ended up. Uh, uh, right ahead of 2008, as the economy was beginning to to collapse, that's when we that's when we had the idea to to start Case with with Dave and Steve. Um, and anyway, the the rest of it uh, <laughs> can go into it. But that's that was I think I was 20 26 27 years old at the time when we when we split off and we thought we already knew everything. Uh, we're quite naive actually. <laughs> <laughs> and like I was reading about. Uh, case and like look like you guys were quite ahead of its time when you were developing projects and the company around it so can you uh, walk us through like how was the brainstorming and the case ideation look like was it uh, you and your co-founders were in a bar or a coffee shop discussing how to take it to the next level 
Yeah, so so um, we saw um, <clears throat> a lot of the stuff that was happening with technology at the time was um, in many ways not so dissimilar to what is still happening in some respects, but in many ways very different. Um, a lot of stuff that was happening with technology was enabling, um, uh, let's say, smaller practices or newer practices to 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 kind of take on more or to take on bigger um which was really cool i'd probably say that the beijing olympics was one of one of probably the biggest shifts uh, from a digital design and fabrication perspective in our whole industry a ton of people that i really respect ended up in somehow or another involved in that um and you know and it pushed uh, a lot of things forward um and so this was before that right um uh like you know even stories like revit like they had just been acquired like there was the, all of this stuff was really tiny um so so case saw its its place as a effectively a, a kind of change agent within the industry we looked up to companies like ideo and frog and Red Antler um, and, and companies, agencies like this that exist very much in the rest of the design community that help people use design and technology to, to solve real problems. Um, and so this was very much an agency model, which means that it's a, um, uh, let's call it services model, right? It wasn't productized yet, um, which is really all the only opportunity we had at the time. There was no prop tech in New York at that time in 2007 or eight. Um, so, so we started with that, um, and you know, very quickly, you know, we got our first gig was like 20k. Then we got our second gig, which was like another 20k, and we we had like already quit our jobs, right? So like, this is all we had. Um, wow. We had no savings. We we were we we were young and 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 just went all out. Um, and people were like, oh, you know, how did like how did you guys make sure, you know, how did you guys organize yourselves and all of that? And, and for us, it was really simple. It was, it was, you know, we knew we had enough money when we landed our first contract, we'd had enough money for basically a couple of months, two or three months amongst the three of us to get the next project. So immediately we, we already said, okay, Dave, you go sell, you know, Steve and I are going to deliver this thing. Um, and it was, it was, um, it was pretty natural from that perspective. The three of us were looking back on it. We're super lucky in that we, I think we're very, um complementary to each other um and um and we were all learning we were all at a similar points in our careers and so um we were winging it but in an informed way i think um and that sort of mushroomed and ballooned into into this thing over the ensuing six or seven years that we were super proud of you know we had this super amazing um okay like genuine brand uh, we had about 60 or 70 people by, you know, 2015, which is when we were acquired, um, spread all over the world. Our, our, our main office was in New York, but we had people, you know, all over the place from, you know, um, um, uh, Nebraska and Korea and London and Uruguay and Argentina and all kinds of different uh, amazing places. And so we, we were actually um, remote first at the, at the moment, like. 10 years ago, uh, more. Um, and so, you know, so we had to have this remote remote culture where even those who are in the office, we, you know, we, we had all these sort of guidelines and things to make sure that everybody who was away 
um, felt very much, you know, had the same experience. So even if you had somebody, let's say that was in your same office, but there was a third person in that meeting that was online, we would all have the meeting online uh, to make sure that the third person didn't feel like they were, they were being left out, like little things like that. There are things that uh, I'll give Dave also a lot of credit. There was a lot of designing the experience that went into it. And that was both internal and external. Um, we had our, you know, our blog, we had our parties at AU, we had um, all of these kinds of things, which were designed to effectively do the one thing that I think Case was most um, well known for, which was to give a home, to provide a home to this new type of practitioner that didn't yet have a home in firms yet. And we're like, look, you, you, you know, like, unless you're, you want to go the traditional PE route or PA route, um, like, wh what are you going to do? And, and some of the, you know, like today we have stories of people being CTOs and head of digital practice, all these things, none of that existed back then. Um, and so we'd like to, you know, give, give a home to, to a lot of those folks. And, and, and I think what, how we organize ourselves internally also tried to drive that, that forward. Um, you know, we had a, a strategy consulting group, which was led by Steve, which basically all of, all that it did was to tell company 15 years ago that, you know, and this were like large enterprises, say 500 persons and up uh, in AEC, that if they didn't, um, you know, that they really needed to, from a governance perspective, begin to um, uh, address things like CTO roles, CIO roles, not as the person who was just making sure that your email service were, were running, but actually a strategic role. So. So these roles began to change from what we would call sort of bottom line roles, like making sure the 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 ops of the business are working, which are still really, of course, really important, uh, to top line roles, which were which which uh, you know the really good firms today have. These top line roles are drivers of growth. They're drivers of talent. Uh, they, they attract talent. They retain talent. Um, they the firms that have recognized these these people, um, I think, are are probably um, up in a way doing doing some of the best work today. Um, so we were helping firms specifically, you know, reorganize themselves accordingly and implementing plans and all these things. We also had a, an implementation group. You have it on the screen that taught folks how to implement some of the stuff. We sort of handheld them as they were going through this transition. Um, we were doing all kinds of bespoke technology. This was about half of our business. Um, um definitely toward the end and probably the reason why we ended up getting acquired um because we 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 made one really good decision which was to retain all ip of our code uh always and so it allowed us to always be able to spin up stuff for people i think a little bit quicker there wasn't there weren't a lot of software development companies who had aec knowledge from the business the business knowledge um and so that combination made us really enticing to to a lot of people um and then the projects group, uh, which I actually, you know, ran for for quite a while, uh, where we would embed ourselves into these like, um, you know, very specific kind of project teams that were trying to do something, um, you know, big. Um, so like, uh, working, you know, like mega projects and these kinds of things that that um, you know other consultancies were were doing as well. We're trying to do less and less of that. Um, Somehow or another, we kept getting pulled back in. Um, it was probably me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I see. Like, there are so many tangents I could go, but like, uh, I'm really cu curious to know, like, uh, since uh, this was like a very new at the time to provide this kind of digital consultancy and like services, like, what was the precedent for the business and financial model you had? 
for that or how did you guys figure it out and initially like uh, you started with three like and uh, what were the down points during this uh, journey yeah that's a great question so we we're proud to say that we we um we had a, we ran a really tight ship uh at case our our biggest product which was which was completely internal and nobody ever saw was we had a homemade erp um that tracked everything um and we we were like really 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 good about making sure that everything was on it um and so like you know today you have things like monograph for example that allow you to do all this stuff um uh actually ended up being an early investor in monograph because because i knew the problem so well i was like the, the second that came across my desk i was like i don't even need to see it yes i'll invest because <laughs> it's it's tracking hours in any consulting business is is the only way in which you're able to um understand whether you're being profitable or not and so i am proud to say that from day one um we we had to run the company profitably we had we had no choice right there was no investment we had no we didn't have any money ourselves to like you know more than a month or two of rent that was it um we were lucky enough that we did this at a, at a time in our lives where um you know i i didn't have children at the time i didn't have uh, other responsibilities so it was just mostly me um but it was a it was a big risk uh and so we everything we did we had to be really cutthroat about it like you know we, we had a, a very 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 strong stance on on you know like we never did free work ever for anybody um we never um you know our marketing um all of those kinds of things that like people today i think still struggle we're like spending all kinds of 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 money to try to attract business we we were we were measuring everything and making sure that um we were able to you know to track back um um you know how we were doing at any given time um that erp that erp was was like we 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 hooked it on to Tableau like super early on. We were like, we, every meeting was run with like very clear sort of metrics as to how we're doing. We had an automatic um, uh, uh, proposal generator. So we had like really productized our services and our packages in such a way that like, we were already thinking about products, right? We just didn't have a product model, but we were th we thinking about productizing things. We we're like, we have very specific packages that once you sort of signed on to them, everything downstream from that was 100% sort of like exactly repeatable from project to project, from account to account, from customer to customer. Um, and we got to the point where actually through like case apps, which was a free set of tools and a bunch of our, our software development, we even had our the beginnings of our subscription uh, model with us, which was um, uh, which effectively was a help desk subscription. And that help desk subscription um was designed to get us closer to the customer but really it was designed to to eliminate the valleys of the traditional peaks and valleys model of any services uh, business where it's like you know you can cr cut a cross-section about services companies in, in the us so you'd say okay like q3 is usually really good for most of them q4 is terrible q1 is better q2 is like you know somewhere in the middle 
Um, and that's even without you know recessions and things like that, which they used to tell us, oh, it only happened every 20 years. Well, I've lived through three already and I'm only 41. So I don't, you know, it's, it think the world is different now. And so we said, we needed something that would engage um, our customers or bring our customers closer to us. And that was actually doing pretty well. Um, we had a whole team of people that were on this sort of like help desk for all kinds of different, you know, computational design and BIM questions. Um, and super, and that was probably one of the most profitable parts of the business. Um, um, and, and, you know, and recurring, like we didn't have to resell that, that revenue. Um, once we have it, we have it. Uh, so we learned a ton. It was a six or seven years that were amazing. We learned so much, um, and we learned about product and, 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 you know, in a way that we hadn't before, um, which I think kind of opened the door for us to have the acquisition because we we were excited then about the prospect. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, what if we were a product business? Um, we had never really considered it before because we were always taught that like, you know, you provide services. That's what we do. We're professionals. Um, and 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 then we we sort of learned to forget that, uh, <laughs> which took took a while. It took the better the better part of a decade uh, <laughs> to to erase it. I see. And and looking back at uh, the case years, is there any product or idea you wish you could have worked or you wanted to work? Um, no, like I think one of the things we're most proud of is just is the team. Like I'd say the product, the case's most successful product was its brand, and its brand was its team. That's it. Like everything else is kind of secondary to that, um, you know. And it really taught us, and hopefully, it taught everybody else that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, like you got to focus on team. That's it. Like your team is everything. Your team is the most valuable part, um, and especially if you're in services, um, you know. So, so I, I don't know. I don't like zero regrets. Even even the acquisition for me was amazing because I I always said. We never got to see Case struggle, which is such a like, you know, such a such a such a um, a benefit. Um, you know, Case was alive for seven and a half years or something, and like, I think we had like a total of like three bad months in that whole period. Like, that was an like, amazing run. Um, and so, yeah, everything else was secondary. To that to be to be frank and and then to be able to also like kind of go out on top if you will um and never had to have like you know hit a serious recession where we had to contract where our customers were contracting which meant that i had that we had to contract and had to like um yeah that that would have been really tough so so i'm glad it you know i'm glad that we we get to keep our our happy memories from that <laughs> i see and uh to your point of team like uh, what is your piece of advice for uh, AC tech startups about recruitment and finding the people who align with the vision of the startup? Um, teams are everything. Um, like that's not where you save money. <laughs> so don't, don't, don't do it. Like you will lose the talent uh, or you will never attract the, the right talent. Um, Teams are everything. It's simple as that. That's where you invest all of your money. Um, 
uh, like overpay if you can, uh, like go all out, go nuts. Um, because, because, because that's, because ultimately the world around us changes. Any plan we have is great, but it's, it's like at its best cute. Um, look at the last two years, right? Like if Kanoa didn't have the team that it has, we wouldn't have survived at all. Like we would not, like we are a team that is in commercial real estate focus on office. <laughs> like yeah. the last two years should have killed us more than once. Um, so team is everything. Um, name, brand, all of those things are important to attract um, talent, but then you have to keep it. Um, so team is everything. And if, if you think that you know people are replaceable and those kinds of things, you're probably thinking about your team in, a, in an incorrect way. I see. And from from my limited experience like one of the things i see is like it's very challenging to find like a successful uh, business model for a tech startup and if you're hiring a really good talent like it's a good cost like how do you manage like the resources the limited resources you have but also you want a the great team yeah, I mean, this is this is at the core of this conversation is sort of like what <laughs> what's the business model of AEC companies? Um, I you know like if, if we take a step back for a moment, um, we can bunch up a bunch of people on what I would call like tech enabled services, which is which is like some version of what existed before, but it's enabled um, to be delivered easily, better better packaged. That's completely legitimate, by the way. People are like, oh, that's not techie. And it, like, they can go away and say, like, <laughs> you know, like the whole insurance industry is tech enabled services. All of health tech is tech enabled services. Like, we are a highly regulated industry. Um, and as such, um, you know, tech, tech enabled is it's great and it's totally fine. Um, then you have, you know, what I would call sort of like traditional SaaS. Um, We've had some amazing exits in that world. Um, and then we have, you know, some marketplaces which Kanoa would fall under. We have, um, um, who else can I think about? Um, I mean, that might be, well, and then you then you have like your full, yeah, well, I would I would typically separate this, but then like your full stack kind of like developer manufacturer firms uh, or companies, I would I would put those guys under tech enabled, uh, to be frank. And so so this was probably like the three biggest pillars of 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 businesses and with tech enabled and and SaaS being the two biggest ones and marketplace uh, being like a tiny, tiny, tiny speck uh, in the industry in the moment, um, which is why you're right. And we are going to be uh, a billion dollar company. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, we 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 said we got to sell stuff um, and and selling software is is something that I'm, I am. I think I'm particularly bad at. Um, so I was like, maybe I can sell chairs instead. I have no idea. Anyway, but um, we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, but I think I think, you know, I think that most people go after this tech enabled services world and some people go after SaaS. I think both of them are super valid. Um, look, the, re the reality is that when you're doing a startup, um, you um, you have to really know, um, I like to say you have to pick, uh, um, the problem yourself 
um, not how you're trying to solve it. The how comes through trying to find product market fit. I, I see most often, um, and, and this is really hard, um, and it, it happened to all, it happens to all of us. Any entrepreneur out there will tell you this, but it's like, you know, like you think that you have some sort of idea that you think will sort of like allow you to, you know, crack um, uh, in the door uh, an opening to be able to go in and sell something because you can do it differently. The, the reality is that um, there has to be a, a, a business driver, there has to be a growth driver, uh, a problem that you find really interesting, that you're very passionate about, and then how you solve that problem will evolve. Um, so I'd be really like hesitant to just like, you know, jump in and start building stuff and jump in and start doing all this, all this, all this tech work um, other than being completely honest with yourself and saying, okay, this tech work is mostly to raise money or mostly for, for trying for product research at the moment, those kinds of things are, are good. And then eventually, you know, that becomes over time that becomes, um, you know, a platform or some sort of product or service or package, um, that becomes repeatable. Um, but it's, it's really, really, really hard. And so, and so probably what you have to say is, look, the typical business, um, I would say the typical services business is is low risk, low reward. Finding like case at the beginning, finding 10K a month from somebody to keep us fed was not that hard, right? And so most companies end up being like, okay, well, let me just find like a little consulting gig and like blah, blah, blah. Um, that's why, but then like scaling that to $10 million a year or $50 million a year is really hard and usually yeah. translates to you being like this mega giant company that is effectively buying labor, repackaging it for a profit and then selling it. Right. And so, and so with all of the potential uh, issues that, uh, you know, benefits and issues that that may come with it. And so with tech, the model is fundamentally different. The model is we're going to lose money. Um, while or we're gonna at the very least like break even probably lose money let's be honest um for a while while we swing and miss 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 a bunch of times um which hopefully we can then thread all of those lessons back together into something they're like okay now i can stand on this foundation and i've tethered myself to enough research and enough feedback and enough things that now I can like provide value in a very real way that is also scalable. That is not just me giving advice to somebody because that's services. It's some sort of technology, some sort of framework, some sort of mechanism that will give us, you know, that will drive you to whatever you're you're seeking, which ultimately it's what we would call mechanical revenue, which is the first dollar that came in the door that was automatic. Um, and, and, if, and you have to do everything to get to that point. And this is this is where the VC model comes in, or you know, angel investing, and 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 all of this. It's high risk, high reward. Most of these companies don't make it. Um, but the whole point of it, the whole objective of it, is that if you do, the reward can be potentially really really significant. Um, and so, and so that's where you know this new animal that didn't exist in the early two thousands as a company now exists out there. Um, and so whatever it is that you're doing, um, whether you're trying to found a company or whether you're joining a company or you're looking for something, um, these two animals behave completely differently. 
and the experiences of working at these two companies is very, very different. Right? Your typical architecture firm, uh, let's say, is usually 70 to 80 percent architects, meaning it's like what I would call single discipline. There, are, of course, are like architecture interiors or AEC or A&E or big A, little E, big E, little A, those kinds of things. But a product company is cross-functional, like off the bat, right? Like your small team, your core team, you may be one of two, one of three that are what we call subject matter experts. And that's it. Like it's not it's not selling a lot of one thing. It's selling something that's packaged that, you know, that that sort of, you know, is supposed to it's supposed to provide um, uh, again some sort of value. So that so pick a big problem, something that you can, you know, knock on, you know, I like to I like to say that like we're sort of like, you know, like back in the day at case we used to play Warcraft. And so there's a little map on the bottom right where as you are traveling around it like begins to more of the map begins to appear well that that's startups right like you're feeling your way in the dark at some point um you just need to be able to make sure you don't run out of money before you find that door before you find a door that's unlocked that you can walk through which gets you a little bit more money and then another dark room <laughs> that you have to walk through <laughs> and you do this over and over and over again um uh which is both super fun and incredibly scary um, until you know, hopefully you you find daylight, and finding daylight is what I would call is product market fit. And I define finding product market fit as both repeatable business and a profitable company. Um, you know, I would argue that, say, for example, WeWork, which I was a part of, um, we had repeatable business, but we weren't profitable yet. So I'm not sure we ever found product market fit. Um, had we not been propped up by a bunch of VC investments we probably wouldn't have been where we you know where we were say by by 2018 and so so it it doesn't finding product market fit isn't even related to how big you are there's massive companies out there who might not even have it yet um obviously you want to get there as quickly as possible otherwise um you know finding money gets harder and harder um but the reality the reality is 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 that it's it's you're swinging for the fences and that mm -hmm. that is that is a fundamentally different culture than going into a practice, even a digital practice where you're like, yep, you know, like two years from now, we'll be doing something very similar to what we're doing right now. Um, in a startup, I, I mean, where we are two years from now should look very different than where we are today. Mm -hmm. it, it's, not, it's not a hope, like it should, otherwise we're not doing our job, otherwise we're not advancing um so it's so you know so it's not it's not for everybody that's for sure oh my god that there's so many insights in that answer and thank it, thanks a lot for sharing and i'm curious like what what excites you the most in the ac tech space today yep um oof. um i would say the attention we have um i have never seen so much um context align itself around all of the problems all of these physical problems from a housing crisis to an affordability crisis to a climate crisis um to what i would call a talent crisis um all of these things are coming together to completely, completely, completely rewrite the rules of, of residential, uh, of commercial real estate. Um, and so, 
and it's attracted a ton of investment. And so we'll see where that investment goes and how well it does or do, doesn't do. Um, really, that's up to a lot of us. Um, but the reality is that um, the world is asking for some very spatial solutions to some very spatial problems. Um, and, you know, and it's willing to invest in it. And so are we as an industry going to take up that challenge or are we not? Um, because it's being taken up by somebody. And so, yeah. you know, so what's, what's going to be, what's going to be the answer? Um, I would say I'm most, I'm most excited by that. It's, 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 um, I said this last year and I was wrong because this year is better, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I would say, I would say, um, there is more stuff happening in our industry when it comes to trying to rewrite the rules in a healthier way um, today than there ever has been in the you know since I graduated college. So I'm excited about that potential. It's not one company, it's not one team. It has to be thousands. Um, and so the more, the merrier. Like you know, the more people that decide to start their own companies, the more people that decide to be entrepreneurs, the more people that decide to join new companies, the more people that start to do um different kinds of things the better um it's it's healthy for all of us got it and uh, i have seen like recent a lot of developments uh, on the spatial and generative space about products and startups are there a any areas which uh not a lot of people addressing or some missed opportunities in this space um yeah like thousands. <laughs> um, I mean, frankly, um, I would say that I would say that um, there seems to be a lot of people who are trying to sell into architects and, and engineers. Um, I, I'm not sure that like, there's a, a lot of amazing technology, there's not as much amazing business models. Um, so I would say people just like get out of your comfort zone a little bit and like, you know, go out and sell into other people. And so, you know, a lot of the industry is aligned to sell effectively. It's, it's, it's B2B and they don't realize it, right? Because architects and engineers and contractors all work for developers um, in whatever capacity. Um, unless you're in the single family home business, say like upscale, um, then you're working for developers and you're doing, you know, so, so let's, let's leave aside the single family home high end designer, which by the way, has an actual direct contact with the end user and probably, you know, does better in that capacity than most of the rest of the industry who does not. And so if you take the rest of the industry, you say, look, stop selling to each other and stop selling into developers and go broader, you know, go wider, go package something, do something where like you actually have to put it, you know, put a stake in the ground and have an opinion. Um, I think a lot of what's happening right now is still very much trying to like, let's say like package consulting in a way, like package consulting into software features, um, which is cool and it needs to happen. We all need our, our picks, you know, our, our picks and hammers. Um, but I would like to see more in the order of marketplaces. I think people at like, I think people should be working on payments um, in our industry. I think people should be working on credit in our industry. I think people should be working on talent in our industry. I think there's a bunch of ideas of things um, that would prop up um, our industry in ways that, you know, would be amazing. And, you know, today 
don't really exist. Why isn't there a startup, like an insurance startup company in our industry? Like crazy stuff. We all talk about risk all the time. Like, okay, then go start the lemonade for AC. Like it, it's, 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 it's right there. It's right there. I see your point. And uh, do you think uh, like AI or blockchain uh, potential, uh, like it's going to take a while in our industry because of the data issues or like what's the friction do we foresee on, on those sectors? I mean, I don't know that I see any friction. I, I think that like, you know, those, I mean, blockchain is just blockchain. That's like, you know, having a reason to do something that is open. Um, it's probably the same barrier that most other industries have. It's like, why, why are we doing it this way? Um, which, which, you know, there are some use cases out there that make sense. I think I, you know, I do enjoy the, the, the amazing power that NFTs have given artists because it does make sense to have traceable assets in that capacity. Um, I'm sure there's probably use cases for us. I don't know. I don't like it, it. It's very easy though to to have like technology, like car driving the uh, or putting the car before the horse, if you will. Like like technology trying to find a solution, kind of thing. Like if you want to do research, do research, right? That's 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 a thing. And I think with AI, like I mean, it kind of is all over the place already. Like I'm not, you know, I don't think that there's a ton of. I mean, obviously, the, there's a data reliance. Uh, issue like you need enough data to actually make any meaningful impact, of course. But um, I think outside of outside of the world of like ground up construction, um, where like there's a lot of what I would call like very shallow um, demos about AI. I would say in the world of like imaging and like everything that has to do with robotics um in marketplaces in like decision support and recommendations engines like there's amazing stuff out there that works already incredibly well i mean like um so 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 i think it, it sort of kind of depends on what what vertical or what it is that we're that we're that we're looking for i i i um i think if you're asking sort of like you know a design a building i'd be like uh, um i'm not sure i'm not sure how interesting that problem is um today i think that i'm a, a we're big believers of, of of the concept of of um not selling hours and so i do think that what i'm really excited about as a potential is the ability to have you know little companies effectively knock out um, over the next 10 or 20 years, this need for the, like the mega firm. Um, like, do we really need 10,000 person companies to like do something, um, feels, you know, feels a little bit 20th century. So, so I'm excited for, for people to, to try to knock at that problem, um, and see what happens. Got it. And like students and young professionals, like like me, like when we see the case study of like Katera and we work, it feels like it's going to be very challenging for a successful vertical integrated firm. So I'm curious, like, uh, do are you bullish or bearish on like those kind of startups? Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm bullish about 
everything. Uh, so it's hard for me to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I think that. Um, I don't know. Maybe like I am a I am an optimist, um, which I guess I would have to be. But like, I don't see either of those examples as failures. Right. Like I see them more as as as. Um, like it's just a hit and a miss, right? But like, how much further did we get? Right. Like how how close are we from from a a world where um, a lot of this stuff, let's say, where where we can in fact actually help the five billion people that have that have uh, or have you know been born since 1970. How much closer are we to solving real sustainability issues? Like these are not small problems. Um, I think we need like you know other than the what I would call like the 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 real um leadership issues that both of these companies had that the the which led to business model issues that were built on quicksand but like from a technology perspective and the objectives that they were trying to meet i think i think that they moved the ball forward and i think that that's amazing um and so like i would i would say sans the the personal enrichment um let's let's say that that we need a lot more of that we need not just 16 billion dollars invested in our industry we need we need two three trillion dollars over the next 20 30 years to truly address decarbonization in our cities to truly address proper housing conditions to truly address all of these kinds of things because like we're here like we're we're here all of these people are here and they all deserve um, you know, that level of quality and standing in, in their day-to-day -day lives. And it's our industry's responsibility to provide it. And like, that's it. Like there's nothing, there's nothing else to discuss. And so, um, we need to go out, we need better leaders. I think maybe that's the lessons is that we like right now, it felt like a little bit like the wild west. And we had some leaders who were just like, um, you know, kind of crazy enough to go after it. It's like, okay, then that's a lesson. The problem is there. The money might be there in the future again. Let's get better leadership um, because these problems have not gone anywhere. They've gotten worse since COVID. Mm -hmm. So that's my opinion. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I'm I would like to know the inside about let's uh, let's say you had an idea about Kenova. What was the framework or metrics you used to get into the prototype stage and like? How did you get like the feedback? Can you share some insights from that journey? Like overall, or like, like where, what are, what are product? How do we arrive at the product we have today, or how do we make product decisions on a daily basis? Like, yeah, decisions level and like getting the first uh, prototype out. Yeah. Yeah. So Canoe's journey is really interesting. I. Um, we started actually as this, you know, we're trying to package office solutions for small businesses. Um, and we started in, 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 I mean, we incorporated at the end of 2018, we started the company in earnest in January, 2020. And two months later, all small businesses stopped having an office. But we, we started at the worst possible time. We didn't intend to go out and build a space planning tool. We didn't intend to build some of this stuff. It just, we 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 had some very difficult 
like moments where we luckily we weren't you know it was just me and a couple of other people but like luckily we so we sat down and we're like okay our revenue just went down to effectively zero what do we have to change and what we said is look what saved us was that we were like okay we're passionate about decarbonizing our industry we're passionate about retrofit we're passionate about the power of modular and ffne um but our core customer just got decimated um so so what do we do and we had to pivot and go you know really effectively go up market into medium-sized businesses and large businesses and enterprises which we didn't think we were going to be ready for for quite some time and all of a sudden it's like okay well now we have to learn about them and what they need and what they're looking for not what we thought they needed because we've done tons of work for those kinds of companies but in the context of covid everything changed including internal organization organizational structures at those companies right and so what what do they what do they need today what are we going to do and so the context of the company changed completely but again at a, at a level we were still solving the same problem we were just you know a door got closed, got shut in our face, and we had to go sort of find another door. Um, you know, and a year on, I'm happy to report that that's working. Um, but, you know, who knows? Like, there's Omicron, and there's going to be, you know, at some point, we restart the Greek alphabet, um, and and we'll see <laughs> how things, what happens, right? But I do I do think that at a, at if we take a step back, I do think we're somewhere in the first quarter or third of a four to five year let's call it like post like um uh, uh phase and by post i mean that we just realize that we're going to be now living with pandemics almost on a daily basis and then that's the sort of immediate product we're serving or need we're serving while everybody reconfigures and restacks and refigures out you know what their businesses looks like and then three to five years on, and then 10 years on, there's going to be what I would call a restructuring of commercial real estate. Um, we're going to have products for that that we haven't even started work on because it, it would be too early. Um, so we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. Um, but today we said we need we need speed above everything else. The most coveted um, uh, thing that we need is speed. We need really high you know, customer success. Uh, and we need to fundamentally understand how this how this stuff, um, you know, how we can provide value in a scalable way today. Um, and it took us a bit, right? It took us easily six to nine months to kind of like reconfigure our positioning uh, in a way that, um, you know, in a way that would get us to 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 where we are today. I see. And can you elaborate on the operation and how you practice uh, at Kenova, like? Are you following agile method or design sprint? Like, how are you guys working and adapting to this uh, constant changing yeah. needs? Well, first of all, we don't practice anything because we <laughs> we're not a, a <laughs> professional uh, company. Um, we we're a product led business. Um, we yeah, we work on sprints. We have a we have yearly. I like to say that like I like to know where I'm going to be ten years from now and tomorrow and the middle. I don't really care about um, because it's mostly a lie anyway, at least in my experience. <laughs> so, so, so um, we friends, we have yearly objectives and then, so we have like, you know, 12 months uh, and then usually uh, 12 weeks. Um, 
and then you know and that breaks down even further but like the middle can be fudged um um and then we work on you know two week you know and two week cycles beyond that and you know that's 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 the product group which is uh which is about 60 percent of the company today and then ops uh and growth uh and accounts um you know today we're still tiny so it's still you know it's very much um uh, you know, it's very much in a week-to-week sort of thing. So we're beginning to scale. So this is going to change. We might bring some of those, you know, some established cadence to to some of the rest of the company. But the biggest team today is product, which is which is all you know, technology and and um, product design and product development, uh, all in all in one. Got it. Uh, we have one question from the viewers, like from Marcelo. Patrico, do you see the metaverse integrating with the AC industry? I mean, more into the business and serving to get stuff done and not into the social model? Um, I think the metaverse is serves as an opportunity to change our cities um, in a very significant way. And I've yet to see somebody really sort of attack this, but um i tweeted about it a couple of weeks ago and I, I i had like zero engagement on it <laughs> so <laughs> maybe it's just me i have no idea but there's a there's a um i think in the in in the world that i live in which is what's going to you know how people work and 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 what's going to happen i'm very excited about the potential to like in the conversation of hybrid and the conversation of all of this i'm very said about the potential to drastically in a much faster capacity the amount of commuting time the amount of the amount of um uh let's say um embodied carbon that our current economy has where you say hey if we sort of restack our businesses a little bit because right now like the the up up until the pandemic bmo was like oh let's build a bunch of more stuff to get out of this, right? We just built it in the wrong places. Now let's build it. And there's definitely part of that, but part of it is also use patterns, right? And so we say like, and it, and it, and usually in business, it's like, well, if you have to teach anybody anything, that's a really hard lift. So don't go that way. Like you have to go after, you have to go after, um, uh, you know, demand that is already there that just hasn't been captured yet. Um, and so what COVID did was that it, all of a sudden it created a a what I like to say a change of behavior the way in which humans are now consuming cities, right? Or using cities um, is fundamentally different. And there's a huge opportunity there to make a huge dent, even with all of the badness about like, um, what I would call sort of like metaverse, electrical usage and everything else, but in context or in comparison to our you know, to like the two hour commuting model that we still work in the US with today, um, there is some there are some pretty amazing opportunities there. And so I, I think and this is something that I hope Canelo begins to do in the future as well. But I think that we are going to begin a lot sooner than I thought engaging some of our bigger, uh, especially tech clients uh, in a hybrid conversation that has to do with lowering carbon, really driven by ESG requirements, but lowering carbon um in ways that are really meaningful and one of them is going to be to provide really amazing experiences working not in the office and so how does that how does one do that so translate into 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 the metaverse how does that translate into remote working how does it translate into all those i don't know 
Um, I don't think anybody knows yet, but I do think that there are some really amazing opportunities there uh, for folks to to begin to explore for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like currently, like even I foresee like developments and there are a lot of like blockchain pumped money into metaverse also, but also it's everyone is figuring out like why why should I go in metaverse in first place? That's a, a question. So uh, I recall like you mentioned when, like uh, the monograph story that when you heard about that problem, you invested in like first place. So what's your recipe of finding problems? Like how do you see the pain points? Problems? No, I, you mean to invest in or to solve myself? <laughs> Both. I, I mean, honestly, I don't know. I, 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 I think I wake up every, every morning and I, and I, uh, I just, I see like, I see AEC as this like gigantic, gigantic, gigantic uh, um, opportunity. And I don't know, there's like, I don't know, like you, you probably know the numbers better than I do, but like the, 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 the amount of businesses that are trying to solve any sort of aspects of it that are, that are really sort of like deep and meaningful, it's just not that high. Right. So like there's all of the, there's a design problem, which has a lot of attention, which is great, but, but every, but like to get one thing built, you need like 10, 12 different, like significant verticals. And there's very few people. So design and construction gets most of the attention. What about everything else? Um, and so, you know, everybody's trying to automate out like laborers, which sure. Okay. But like, <laughs> there's, there is so much out there. Um, and so yeah. I don't know, I don't know how I pick things. I personally for Kanoa, I just picked something that I enjoyed. I want to be able to get up every morning and like really have a lot of fun doing what I'm doing. Um, and I love design. Um, and I love building teams and building businesses. And, and I want to try to do something that maybe does it a little bit better than we were doing it before. And that to me is, is that is all of our energy collectively. Um, that's how big this thing is. Um, and investment, I don't, I don't really invest sort of actively. Like I, I, um, I just happen to know some amazing people. A lot of them have been bit by the entrepreneurial bug. And so um, I've given some money to some people, mostly be, to support them as teams. I don't expect that I don't do this professionally. I don't expect to ever see that money back. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, I'm not an, I'm not an investor in that capacity. I, I just, you know, like I know George from Monograph and when he joined the team and like they were raising money, I was like, of course I'll support this team. Um, there's some, there's some, I would only do this because it's somebody that, or it's a team that I, I just really meaningfully want to want to get behind, and I and I hope that they do really really well. Um, the problem ultimately, in in some degrees, even becomes secondary. I am part of Spatial Syndicate, um, which by most measures is really run by Cat. Um, so I, I would <laughs> say I'm allowed to be in those meetings, um, <laughs> but but really I have a very um, uh, uh, let's say um, I've been lucky enough in having done a bunch of different things that that have exposed me to a ton of people. So I'm able to, you know, I'm able to, I think, make some good introductions and sort of lead people in some ways. But uh, uh, but that's it. I um, yeah <laughs> yeah 
so like w- one thing you mentioned was crucial for you was looking at the team and like from spatial syndicate point of view when you have like let's say bunch of startups pitching to you like what what's the internal matrix yeah like what are some uh, things you look forward to uh, in a startup before you, before you invest and what are some red flags um i mean frankly it's uh, i again i don't necessarily look for much um there's usually somebody that i have come across gotten to know that i really respect um and if i happen to have the ability to either connect them with funding or, or even put in some myself do it um again i think that we i think we need 1000x the number of companies in this vertical than we have today and so like me having backed i don't know three or four companies is is not going to do it <laughs> so like so so and that you know like again there's these mega funds out there and other like there's there's a lot of money out there that really should be going into 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 this so what i what i do do quite a bit of is sit with people who are maybe trying to make the decision as to whether you should start companies or not um and i more often than not like maybe don't ask me because my answer is going to be yes to <laughs> uh, i don't think i don't think i've ever given the opposite advice either yes start a company or join an early uh, startup um mostly because there's some really healthy really mature ways to engage our industry which have to do with like academics or academia government um nonprofits and then like the traditional firms which we're still going to need them for quite some time but this one's the nascent one this is the new kid on the block and so like the other ones already get great talent this one needs a lot more effort needs a lot more um so i i encourage people to to go that route if they're interested in for sure nice and since i know you are optimistic if i find anyone who is looking for funding i'll definitely send it to your way <laughs> <laughs> so amazing uh like from your ex- so you ran case and then you were part of we work which is like silicon valley startup so has uh, after that experience has your perspective towards technology changed how you run a company or how you operate a company um yeah i think so um so actually both case and we work were, were new york uh startups uh so and and case never raised money um which is interesting we were still 100% bootstrapped um from the beginning which i think is why it made it some of like a really interesting um early story probably happens less and less today um yeah i mean look ultimately um the the way we wrote um really the 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 we work wave of funding which i would call like prop tech investment 1.0 is is um was about um was was trying to find a that was equitable or or similar to what you would find in technology and i think that what's what's not happened yet which i think is really interesting um and i think it will over the next 10 years is that i think we're going to find a different way to measure physical businesses that are still you know mega growth um 
but that aren't you know always being compared back to to software which is fundamentally different because it's you know like we like to say that the the somebody much smarter than me said this but like the you know the incremental cost of adding another user is zero in technology well it's not zero in the physical world um so 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 what does mega growth what does high returns what does profitability look like in a, in an AAC company that is that is not you know building one building every seven years um it, that i think hasn't been really figured out yet um but there are some really amazing companies out there trying to do it um most of them are vc backed and so i think that the the willingness is there some of the stuff that's happening in in like product what i would call productized housing like not quite industrialized even though it would include that as well but just productizing housing how i buy it what it looks like how quickly i can get it um there's a main place there and i do that there's a lot of stuff there that we're going to that we're going to to learn um so we'll 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 see but i think i do think 10 years from now we're going to have a couple of exits that will that will be um industry specific um that will that will be the measuring stick for a lot of other you know for another a lot of other sort of waves of investments that come that come after that say oh okay well you you know we're, we're trying to reach this sort of level um because most of most of the things that we're measuring ourselves against at the moment are from other industries and so um that needs to that needs to change got it and uh, i'll wrap up the interview with some non-technical rapid fire questions but before uh, i move on like is there anything on the technical side you like to share uh, which we didn't cover uh, i mean generally <laughs> no probably not i i if you want to be more specific with the I may, maybe um but uh but uh yeah i, I don't know i, like, I don't think so like think... we didn't get a chance to talk like what are the common mistakes uh, which uh, ac started could make which uh, if you have advice we could avoid yeah the common mistake i think is is not just ac it's for everybody um i think every industry has this which is you know like you um uh that you don't like there, there's no focus on sales i mean honestly this has been a this has been a like we think that that product development and packaging and technology will do all of the work it's it's not it's not that like once in a while you have something um that maybe maybe cracks that but like you look at companies like monograph you look at companies like speckle the reason why they're building these amazing communities and and honestly why they're having a ton of traction is because is because of the constant focus on sales and marketing and community building it's just it's like unrelenting um and i think most companies in or a lot of companies in AEC don't put the effort and focus into uh, into that. Um, at the end of the day, sales solves all problems. So, like, if you ever have, if you ever, if you're in a technology company and you find yourself with some sort of problem, it is often a sales problem. It's not a, it's not that like we don't have the right feature, or we don't have that. No, it's probably a sales problem. Um, and so, um, you know, because we all know that. It, like if you just added like a button it's not like all of a sudden you're going to have you know 50 million dollars in arr like it's it's not that 
if it was that easy, a lot of other people would have done it. It's, 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 you know, how do you, who are you selling to? How are you packaging it? Is it properly priced? Are you adding value? Um, all of these questions are questions that are important. We think that it's like, oh, you have it and you can just put it on your shelf and you're done. It, no, it's also a moving target because, because the context of the world is changing. Um, and so you, you honestly, it's a never ending thing. Um, which product and technology team don't like to hear, but uh, <laughs> but it is it is a reality. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so my last section section is like rapid fire, and you'll have like five to ten seconds to answer that question, and you got to keep it brief. So let's do this. So okay. Which I was city not prepared your... for this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> like, which city is in your travel bucket list? Ooh, bucket list. Um, I'm lucky. I've been to a lot of places. I would say, uh, can I be to? Can I go to ones that I've already gone to? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I love Mexico City. I love Tokyo, and I love um, Buenos Aires. Nice. Uh, any technical or business book which made a big impact in your life? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, science fiction. Lots of it. Foundation series, probably most well. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, who's your role there's, model? There's now, there's now a series about on HBO. Oh yeah. Who, who's my role model? Mm -hmm. Oof. Uh, Dave Fano. Uh, your co-founder from Case, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, Oh my God, I lost on the spot. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, what are your hobbies? Uh, reading, um, walking, um, and probably playing video games. <laughs> nice. Uh, your favorite movie? Hmm. There's a lot. At the moment, Dune. If you had unlimited time and resources, what is one thing you would do when you wake up tomorrow? Limited time and resources. Um, I would probably, um, oof, this is a hard one. Um, I would probably, uh i think the the fastest thing i would i would probably redistribute it i would probably find a lot of people that need the money and give it away what is one thing that most of the people don't know about you but they'll be surprised if they get to know that hmm uh <laughs> probably that i was born in venezuela by complete coincidence and chance but i see uh what are three words that describes your personality <laughs> i am a a homebody 100 percent I'm not a very social person. Um, sorry, in like big groups. I don't like big groups. 
um, and I'm claustrophobic, which is kind of a weird irony in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, what is your advice to your younger self? Um, another good question. I would say, um, I would say probably to have jumped into what I was doing sooner to what I'm doing now sooner. Um, I think I, 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 I think we, for some reason, it, it took me a while to, to truly engage the climate discussion. I would, I would. I would not change a lot. I've been lucky in life, but I, I would have liked to uh, not look at this problem from the sidelines for, for so long. Got it. Thanks a lot, Federico, for such an inspiring talk and sharing your knowledge and thoughts with us. I had a great time. Amazing. Well, thank you for having me. This was a, a lot of fun. It's great questions too. <laughs> thank you. Have a nice rest of your day.